Hey, what's up everyone? So, uh, finally getting round to recording more podcasts. So this is episode two. Um, you're catching me now, uh, sort of t- two weeks into my uh, preparation for the Bob Graham round attempt in June. So in this episode, I'll be talking about my training for the week, touching a little bit on the kit that I use in running, also delving into a little bit on foot striking as well as cadence. And then finally talking about some of the events that I've got coming up over the next week. Hope you guys enjoy. Alright guys, so uh, week two in my Bob Graham training weekly diary. uh, As well as obviously talking about a few other bits and pieces as the week goes on, obviously, people chat to me, ask questions. I read a few bits and pieces online. Uh, so, yeah, so a few things we'll talk about today, including uh, forefoot versus rear foot striking and running. Uh, and obviously, a little bit about some of the kit that I, I use when I'm out and about on the fells. Uh, so, first thing is, obviously, the week's training. So I mentioned in the live Q&A, kind of gave a rough outline of my weekly training at the moment, being sort of still a good six months away from my uh, Bob Graham attempt. So typically at the moment, I'm doing four gym sessions a week and four or five runs a week. So gym sessions, we're looking at Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, and then running, we're looking at, again, sort of Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and then uh, Saturday for my long run. So this week was much better than the week before. Obviously, I didn't have any illness stopping me from getting the sessions in. So start of the week, gym sessions, kind of more upper body focused, postural focus. Um, So looking at balancing, pressing, pulling, um, pull-ups, press-ups, banded movements, I'll be starting to get some bench press back in as well. Um, Once I uh, start my new job, I'll be able to start getting some benching back in more because I do miss that for upper body strength. Uh, Runs during the week, fairly steady. um, Quite, I'd say quite easy overall. I didn't push the pace too much. Um, So again, sticking more zone one, zone two nice conversational paces, distances between five and six miles. And then later towards the end of the week in the gym, uh, recovery was still feeling good. So obviously I had the Wednesday off completely. Um, Still balancing what I'm eating because I'm starting to feel hungry and hungry as I increase my training volume. But that was kind of expected. So I'll adjust my calories as I need to. Um, So yeah, towards the end of the week, um, Lower body focus in the gym, especially on Friday, which was good just to pre-fatigue the legs before my long run. So um, some heavy Bulgarian split squats uh, and uh, step-ups along with some rowing, some skipping um, and some core work. So again, really good to do some single leg strength and stability work, um, which then meant legs were a little bit tired going into my long run on the Saturday which was 16 miles and starting to get a little bit more ascent in now, especially after last week staying fairly low because of the weather. So this week I managed to get over 
uh, cat bells. So not super high in terms of uh, the peaks around in the Lake District, but still a decent climb up to the top and a nice quick descent down. And then it was kind of just undulating throughout. I think it was about two and a half thousand feet of elevation gain across the 16 miles. Um, <laughs> and that was just over three hours for that, which I'm kind of happy with. Um, probably should have been a little bit slower towards the end. So I was feeling strong, feeling steady throughout the whole whole run until probably the last four or five miles where I did that typical bloke thing of my path met with the main path that I wanted to get onto. And just as I was getting onto that path, there was a couple of runners coming from the other direction uh, and linked up. They started off in front of me. I then obviously just focused on staying behind them to the point where they didn't want to try and stay in front. So then I ran past them through one of the styles and then I just obviously was focused on making sure that I, they didn't catch me back up. So probably running a little bit faster than I should have been for the last kind of three or four miles, dropping down to kind of like eight minute mile pace, which obviously isn't super speedy, but towards the end of a 16 mile hilly run, legs already fatigued from doing some fast descents. Um, yeah, I did suffer with that towards the end <clears throat> and pace dropped off a little bit on the last mile. But as I said, I'm, I'm more than happy just to get the mileage in the legs at this point. Um, I've got plenty of time to refine things. So yeah, it's a really good run quite sore afterwards but chucked on the compression yeah i don't know whether compression actually works or not research suggests that it doesn't but they make me feel good so i still use them um and then later on in the day i had a bit of foam rolling well after a, an hour nap in the in the afternoon actually <laughs> um yeah so then did a bit of foam rolling uh, a bit of dynamic work and then today uh, i've been working in the gym giving movement screens for most of the day, but in between was doing some foam rolling uh, and just a little bit of calf raise, eccentric work, just to, again, get a bit of mobility through there, uh, as well as a little bit of strength. And Yeah, so my legs feel pretty much fully recovered after a nice long rest day today. Um, so, yeah, so overall, I'd say a good good week. Set me up nicely for, for next week. Um Food-wise, overall been been pretty much on the ball, um, apart from just smashing, I think, about 15 pigs and blankets that were left in the freezer about 15 minutes ago. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they, they needed eating, so I thought I might as well bang them down now. <laughs> so, yeah, so food-wise has been pretty good. Like I said, I've not really been feeling too hungry, but I'm definitely going to be upping my calories in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so I've got next week is another increase in, in mileage on the week and the long run. And then it'll be followed by uh, a deload week. So remember, I mentioned about uh, everyone, regardless of ability, should be focusing on doing every fourth week is a deload week. So you do three weeks of building up your mileage, uh, increasing intensity, etc., etc. However, you're changing the variables to get fitter. And then on that fourth week, we reduce ideally the volume. So if it's running mileage, we reduce the weekly mileage by 50% of the previous week. Um, <coughs> if it's uh, weightlifting, we may reduce the load that we're lifting by 50%. So, you know, just focusing on greasing the groove of the movements, but keeping the, uh, the intensity quite low by decreasing the weight you're lifting. Uh, so doing the same rep schemes, et cetera, et cetera, but 
as I said, just making it easier that way. But in any case, there should be some conscious effort to decrease one of those variables, whether it's load or intensity, by you know a considerable amount to allow the body to recover and adapt for the previous three weeks that you've been pushing it through. Um, and then basically restart from where you left off on the end of week three in terms of increasing that, that volume again. Um, so week five would still be a 7 to 10% increase in weekly mileage, but it'd be based on week three, not obviously the deload week that you've just done, if that makes sense. And fire me a question over if it, if it doesn't, and I can clarify. Uh, so yeah, so next week will be uh, the final increase for that particular phase, then a deload week, and then obviously continuing from there. Um, and that should give me another kind of four to six weeks still before I go uh, to Kilimanjaro. So lots of time still to build up the mileage. So I should be probably around 50 to 60 miles point for the week by the time I go away for Killy. Uh, and then obviously I've got that little phase in between that and Everest Marathon to really boost up the mileage up to kind of my max of 80. So yeah, so looking good so far. Consistency is getting better uh, since the new year. So overall feeling pretty good uh, about training. Um, so from there... I wanted to just talk about uh, the some of the kit. So some of you have been asking a few things about what kit I use. Do I recommend any specific things? Um, when it comes to footwear, it's, it's a, it is a minefield in terms of what's best. And unfortunately, the, the best answer that I can give is it depends. It really does depend on what what you've been doing before, what your goal is, what distance you're running, what terrain you're running on. Um, so as an example for me, excuse me, um, before I moved to the Lake District, I pretty much exclusively ran in uh, ASICs. So ASICs road shoes or ASICs trail shoes, but they were basically just a road shoe that were a darker color so that they didn't look as muddy when you've been running off road. Um, had no dramas with those whatsoever. Um, no injuries as at the point I'm still injury free altogether anyway. Um, but yeah, they work well for me. So I did cross country, um, and, uh, triathlon and marathons, etc. all road based, um, in terms of the longer distance stuff, cross country is your sort of typical 10 K distance. And those trainers served me really well. When I then looked to marathon de Sabla in 2015, I looked to train using some different uh, trail shoes because lots of people on the interwebs were saying, you know, this shoe's best for this race or this shoe's best. Uh, so I started off with Innovate uh, Rock Lights. I think it was the Rock Light 235 back in the day. This is well before Graphene Grip or anything like that. Um, and this, I was living in Manchester at the time, so nothing really technical in terms of trails or fell um, in the local area. But... I was only wearing them for probably about two or three weeks and started to get issues with my ankles. So I kind of assumed that that was just because I'd gone from quite a heavy cushion shoe to pretty much no cushion at all uh, and lack of arch support. So I, my ankle was probably collapsing a little bit more. So it's not that necessarily the shoe was bad for me. It was just that my foot wasn't prepared for that shoe or, or sort of general strength of the muscles and joints wasn't prepared for that type of shoe at that time. However, Obviously, I was on a training schedule, so I then changed to um, uh, back to my ASICs and just thought, you know what, I'm running on sand. I can't see it being a real drama running in any type of shoe because they're all going to struggle in the same way. 
So I stuck with my ASICs at the time. I think it was the GT 3000s uh, and went for those for MDS and had no dramas at all, no blisters, done really well on the race, more than happy with my performance. Um, some running gurus out there were saying that you had to run in Brooks Cascadia shoes, otherwise uh, you wouldn't complete the race. Um, so lots of people then took that advice and changed from their original running shoes and obviously had issues like I did, but pushed through it and potentially then stopped them from being able to complete their race or just ripping their feet apart. So yeah, so unfortunately with footwear, it really does come down to testing it. So from there, uh, I then went to Salomon Speedcross because I was doing a lot more off-road and looking at fell runs and longer distance trail runs and stuff like that. Uh, so Salomon Speedcross at the time, I think, was on Model 2 uh, and then got Model 3 as well. Really, really served me quite well. But what I did notice once we got to the 3s and the 4s where they've started to narrow the forefoot a little bit, I understand why to keep a bit more of a grip on the foot. Um, my foot just was too wide for them. So again, I started to get quite a lot of rubbing on the outside of my foot. So then that caused me to have a look at going to a wider foot shoe again, but also one that was a bit more cushioned because, again, I was starting to get a bit more of that ankle pain showing once I was in the Lake District and running on the kind of terrain that we have up here. So uh, I went with Hoka Speed Goats, uh, which I really liked. Um, again, a little bit tight on the forefoot but they were much more comfortable than the Salomon Speedcross and obviously I didn't get any ankle pain whilst training then for my 100 miler that I did last year, the Spine Challenger. Uh, so I used the Hoka Speedgoat mids and the, the trainer version. Again, worked really well, but they did feel a little bit tight, especially obviously as the race went on and my feet did swell. So I stuck with them for a month or two afterwards, um, but then really felt that I could do with, again, exploring something that was even wider on the forefoot. Uh, I really liked Hoka's, so then I stuck with uh, Hoka Torrents. Uh, did those on a demo day. Really liked those, so utilised them. Uh, and I've worn those for the Guernsey 36-miler that I did last year and uh, the Lakes in a Day 50-miler last year and been using them ever since for all my training runs um, out on the fells. Um, but I also then did buy some wide-fitting uh, Salomon Speedcross just because the Hoka's are great. Great cushioning, uh, wide foot, um, pretty much bulletproof on most terrain. But again, some of the technical downhills and, and slippy rocks and things, they're not as grippy uh, as your Innovates and your Salomons. So um, so I bought those just as a way, especially for Bob Graham, some of the terrain I'm going to need, that grippier shoe, uh, and, and seem to be working quite well with the wide-fitting Salomon Speedcross. So I used those on the 16-miler. So that was kind of the first time putting them through their paces properly and they seem to be quite positive so far. However, I'm also looking at uh, a new uh, shoe, which is their, called a VJ Max. Um, so it's a brand I'd never come across until recently meeting someone on a course um, and done a bit of digging on those. And they seem to um, sort of say that they've got the similar characteristics to the Hokers in terms of the cushioning and the wider forefoot, etc. But... Then uh, an aggressive uh, tread and deeper lugs on the bottom of the shoe akin to more speed cross and innovate. So I think they were like five mil or six mil lugs, um, which again is very similar to the speed cross. So hopefully that means that they'll be much more grippier on wet rock. So I'm potentially going to look at those uh, in the next couple of months and trial those out again as a potential for the Bob Graham and obviously future bigger races. But as I said, 
it is trial and error as you can see just over the last what four years I've gone through various different trainers for different needs and um, the key thing is that they are comfortable uh, they don't massively cause you blisters and things like that or cause you any pain so some people thrive on more cushion shoes some don't um, so it really does depend on on what your running style is uh, and as I said it's just a bit of trial and error um, if you've already got something that works really well for you by all means stick with that yeah you know your feet and how your body performs much better than anyone else so but as I said if you're unsure of where to start um, based on your current experience again just drop me a line I can always give you a little bit of guidance or point you in a general direction. Um, so yeah, so kit-wise in terms of footwear, quite a lot of variety there, which before we go into some more kit, that just brings me on to um, when I was doing a live Q&A uh, on Wednesday, someone mentioned about that they are a heel striker and should they become more of a mid or four-foot striker. And obviously I, I did kind of go through it on the, the live Q&A, but just in case you missed that, the simple answer is, it depends. So again, not exciting, not sexy in terms of being able to sell books, sell footwear, etc. like we see a lot of people doing. Um, and there is no evidence out there to support or at least any credible evidence or evidence with a, uh, a wide pool of um, uh, runners to, to take data from. There's no evidence there that suggests that running on your heel or on your midfoot or forefoot is any more or less injurious or any more or less sort of risk of injury than the other. In terms of efficiency, again, the jury seems to be out generally that there isn't any difference in efficiency, especially at more um, uh, sort of slower speeds, so kind of seven-minute miles and slower there doesn't really seem to be much change in efficiency um, between the two types of striking. However, some research that's been conducted, again, not massive, uh, suggests that at the top end speed, so kind of six, seven minute miles, that heel striking is actually more efficient. So what I mean by that, it takes less energy to heel strike than it does to mid foot or forefoot strike. So straight away there, if you're doing it from uh, an injury risk perspective or an efficiency perspective, the data doesn't back up either way yet. Yeah? So straight away there, go for what feels comfortable for you. All right, again, some people thrive on midfoot, forefoot, some people thrive on heel striking. If you find that you're getting injuries and niggles and things like that a lot, all right, before you start blaming it on footwear or, or the way you strike, how about get a movement assessment, get assessed for your range of motion, get assessed for your general strength, see if you've got any imbalances in the body that could be causing uh, compensations or extra stress on muscles and joints that you shouldn't just because you don't have the mobility or the strength to actually run for longer distance. Yeah, If all that is uh, where it should be, then maybe we can explore looking at you know, how you strike the ground or the footwear that you're, you're wearing. Yeah. Or it could be that we need to review your training. Yeah, are you increasing volume too quickly? Are you increasing speed too quickly? There's lots of other sort of more low-hanging fruit variables we can look at than just trying to retrain how you land your foot. All right. So yeah, so evidence is lacking for that. And then in terms of, um, I lost my train of thought there. So in terms of uh, injury risk, as I said. 
your body absorbs the same amount of force regardless of whether you heel strike or forefoot strike. All that changes is that loading just goes to different areas. So if you're heel striking, it's going to tend to be more sort of the knee joints uh, and upwards um, towards the hips that's going to absorb most of that force. If you forefoot, midfoot strike, it's going to be more your sort of calf and the foot itself that's going to absorb those forces. That doesn't change. So if you think if you're a heel striker and you go straight into forefoot or midfoot striking without any strength and conditioning, prepping your calves, your ankles, um, and the bottom of your foot, so the plantar uh, fascia, straight away that could put you at a higher risk of injury than just run heel striking in the first place. And vice versa if you were to try and go back from forefoot, midfoot to heel striking. Um, so yeah, so realistically. There's no evidence to support that one is better than the other. In terms of training that, that's the other variable that, again, I think is a, is a reason not to try and worry too much about where your foot lands. So if you're a heel striker and we spend time trying to consciously change your running technique so that you land more midfoot, forefoot, you've got to make a real big effort to, to continually tell the brain that's how you want to land. So if you're making a conscious effort time and time again, eventually that will start to stick, all right? However, when we start to fatigue, that conscious effort is gonna go, and therefore we're probably gonna default what's more comfortable and easier for us, and chances are that'll be a heel strike. Again, there's lots of evidence out there and research being conducted where they've set up camera traps on races and things. So looking at how many people heel strike at the start of a marathon at the 10K point and then sort of more towards a 35K point, 40K point. And, you know, a good 80% of runners are heel striking towards the, uh, the start of the race and then even more are heel striking towards the end of the race. So those that were midfoot, forefoot at the start have obviously become fatigued and defaulted back to their old technique anyway and become heel strikers towards the end of the race. So all that time and energy they spent on retraining their technique has failed. Chances are they could have got more benefit in terms of improving efficiency of running, reducing the risk of injury from doing, as I just said, mobility, strength, recovery, restoration, focusing on training intensity volume and managing that correctly, making sure every session has a purpose. Yeah, but these are the things that we don't want to do because they are long and boring and tiresome. We want to focus on the big jazzy thing of, oh, let's look at Born to Run and then all of a sudden we should be running on our barefoot and using vibrant fire fingers, which obviously disappeared because they got sued for selling misinformation. So, yeah, so I think personally, forget all that. It's a load of shit. Focus on more uh, tangible things like strength and mobility work. So hopefully that answers a few questions on that. Um, so if you are looking at maybe adjusting something in regards to technique, let's say, like I said, you know, you've got good mobility, you've got general strength, um, but there's still something that doesn't feel comfortable with your running technique or you are still getting niggles, then we could potentially look at your uh, cadence or where the foot is actually landing during your absorption phase in the running gait, i.e. when that foot first hits the ground, where is it relative to your body? Yeah, so we call it the center of mass. So imagine a line going down through the middle of the body to the floor. How far in front or behind or in line with that line does your foot land? Obviously, we want it as close to that line as possible because that's going to be the most efficient and also help distribute those loads more evenly around the body. The further out to the front we are, 
It's going to act more as a braking force. So obviously, again, we're leaking energy and losing efficiency. And obviously, then we're absorbing those forces maybe in areas that we don't necessarily want to. If you think that repeated over time, again, will potentially lead to niggles or injuries. So we can obviously change that by looking at our cadence, i.e. how many steps per minute we take. All right. Again, there's magic numbers that have been plucked out of thin air based on some coaches, but a lot of people tend to look at 180 uh, steps per minute. Um, is kind of a, a good number to look for in terms of that cadence. But again, you've then got to purposely train your brain to be able to do that over time and keep that going when we're fatigued. So whilst that might be the best thing to look at to, to minimize as overstriding, again, I argue that you could probably spend more valuable time on other elements to help develop that stride length or make it more efficient. So... From there, uh, talking about a couple more bits of kit. So running clothing, I've used loads of different brands and they've all performed the same, in my opinion. Nothing's out there. Certainly don't need to be paying ridiculous amounts of money for stuff. I've used Kalenji from Decathlon for years and years and years, had no dramas. Um, I'm currently using a lot of Alp kit stuff, which is really good. Um, so they're shorts, leggings, T-shirts, base layers, stuff like that. Um, again, running kits, running kit in my eyes. Um, vest wise, I'm still rocking. I haven't got it here. Uh, a raid light vest. I think it's a 10 liter, maybe a five liter, uh, and still rocking the plastic bottles rather than the soft bottles, just cause they do my head in and they just constantly leak. Um, and they don't usually have as much capacity as the plastic ones. So I'm a bit old school in that sense. Um, when I'm out, no matter what distance I'm doing, if I'm out on the fells, I always take my vest so that it's got a survival bag in it, some warm kit, things like that, just in case I have an accident. All right, I don't mind carrying a bit of weight. If I train with it, it means I'll be able to carry it efficiently anyway. So uh, don't try and have an argument about saving grams and stuff like that with me because I'll just get pissed off and shoot you down. All right, if you can't carry the weight, just train harder. Um, you know, over the Spine Challenger, we carried the minimum kit list, true to what it was, and our packs were about 12 kilos. We just trained to make sure that we could carry 15 to 20 kilos efficiently, so that 11 to 12 kilos felt like nothing. My partner, Jane, who ran it with me, she'd never really carried that kind of load on her back at all. So we just spent a good few months getting heavier and heavier loads on her back over the tough terrain, and that pack didn't bother throughout the whole 111 miles that we were running. So... Yes, you can go and spend thousands of pounds on saving, you know, three grams on a walking pole or having, you know, cut off the end of your toothbrush or whatever. Or you could just save yourself some money, get some semi-decent kit and actually just train with it and get used to carrying it. Um, so, yeah, that's all I'm going to say on that matter. <laughs> Not that I'm getting angry or anything. Um, so, yeah, so kit-wise, like I said, vests, plastic bottles, uh, I have got walking poles for some long distance stuff. I'm just starting to try and get into using those because they do help more for just saving a bit of leg strength on the big climbs or, um, you know, the longer distance stuff. So uh, I did use them for a little bit on Lakes in a Day 50 miler and definitely found that they were useful for that. Um, but generally, especially on the descents, I like to go fast and poles just become a hindrance on the descents for me personally. But I know a lot of people use them to great success. So again, it's something that's personal. Uh, and if you're going to use them, practice them with them first before jumping straight into a race with them. Um, GPS watch. 
uh, I think is is handy. So when it comes to monitoring intensity, obviously GPS watch or pace is one of the easiest ways to achieve that, but they aren't cheap. So, you know, you can use the RPE scale, which especially if you're a beginner to all this is, is more than adequate. So just basically, you know, if you think zone one, zone two might be a four or five or a six out of 10. So 10 being, you know, balls to the wall, one being you're lying on the sofa, you want somewhere kind of 50 to 60% of that sensation. So you can use RPEs to roughly gauge. Um, so I wouldn't say necessarily GPS watch is required in the beginning, but especially if you want to look at improving speed and things like that. Knowing paces based on uh, your lactate threshold is really useful. So and obviously you need to test that lactate threshold to determine that as well. Um, and there are obviously some bog standard in the field uh, tests that you can carry out. Let me know if you want some links for that. Um, but yeah, so GPS watch, not necessary to start with, but it's definitely something I'd look into if you're getting more serious with your running. Um, I think kit-wise, there's nothing too crazy. Um, the big thing when it comes to kit is fuel. Uh, and I've had a lot of issues over the years with my stomach and not being able to fuel correctly. So uh, MDS, I took loads of food that I thought was going to work well, like cliff bars and stuff. And when I got out in the heat, I just couldn't stand them. Um, when I did the spine, I was having to take uh, ranitidine indigestion tablets every four hours because my stomach was a mess. So you can imagine I was doing that for 40 hours. It wasn't good for my mind um, and obviously being able to push the pace. So I started to explore a bit more with food over the last sort of six months and I've come across Mountain Fuel, who uh, is local based in the Lake District. Again, I don't get anything for mentioning these guys, but uh, I use those, uh, their nutrition, their feel-good bars, they're kind of like soft flapjacks. Uh, use those on the 50-mile lakes in a day and for the whole 50 miles and had no issues in my stomach, which I've never had before in a long-distance race. Uh, and I'll continue to use those now over my long runs like I did yesterday. And I'm most definitely will be using those for my uh, Bob Graham attempt. So, yeah, I can really rate the mountain fuel stuff, especially if you have sort of general stomach issues, IBS and things like that. They've kind of made their stuff from the perspective of helping people with IBS, Crohn's, colitis, et cetera, et cetera, just from, from some of the ingredients they've used to help the body absorb and digest them much easier. So that's maybe something to check out. But again, nutrition is very individual and obviously it massively depends on the distance that you're covering. If you're doing shorter distance stuff, you certainly don't need to worry about um, necessarily fueling so much. Um, but yeah, so a little bit on nutrition there. I think that pretty much from there. I think I've covered everything for the day. Uh just a reminder, I've got Fit Cumbria coming up. Um, so even if you're not just going to, to see myself, if you are in the lakes over that weekend, so the 1st and 2nd of February, it's definitely worth getting down. It's going to be quite a big fitness expo and lots of running-based stuff as well, which is quite cool. Uh, I'll be there on the Sunday all day giving out free movement assessments and also then delivering a 45-minute uh, injury prevention class at 2.30 uh, on Sunday. I think it's about four quid to get in for that. Um, I've got my next injury prevention workshop. So that's the six-hour workshop going real in-depth in terms of uh, mobility, strength, stability, volume, intensity, uh, run-specific uh, sort of rehab, prehab stuff. That's on the 9th of Feb in the lake. So, again, get yourself up for that. Uh, next live Q&A, 
is on Wednesday as always at seven o'clock. Uh, I was really impressed with the turnout for the last one. So obviously I'll be continuing those. So again, uh, over the next few days, if you're not able to make it, get your questions in. I'll chuck out a reminder on uh, Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, but if you can make it, get yourself on at seven o'clock and, and throw me some questions related to fitness, running, training. It doesn't have to just be running. Um, you know, I'm quite competent with strength training, Olympic lifting, etc. as well. Um, and yeah, it'd be really appreciated if you guys can share my content around, especially to any runners, triathletes that you know, and just get the word out there that, you know, there's a lot more to running than just running and buying expensive kit. There's lots of things we can do to help, you know, runners run better without spending loads of money. Uh, and I think that pretty much covers everything for today. So enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Um, SES Who's Dead wins on at nine, so it'll be fun to watch some people cry and get beasted. And uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your Sunday evenings.